My name is Sergio Villanueva, and I serve as part of a pastoral team here at Wheaton Bible Church and Iglesia del Pueblo, and it is a blessing and a joy for me to bring uh, God's word this morning. If you are part of Wheaton Bible Church, you know that if we took a pause in this long series, sermon series that we've been journeying together. We, starting the, we started the Gospel of Matthew last year, and it has been over a year that we've been going uh, chapter by chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. The last two weeks we, we made a pause, and Pastor Hannibal preached on a, on a mini-series that we call Extravagant, which was how do we give ourselves to God in in our giving and resources and in our service, the time that we do to serve. So today we are going back and we return to our Matthew series. And we return to Matthew chapter 24. If you were here in the last um, two sermons of this Matthew series, you will remember that Matthew 24, it is a chapter that is um, it's a very challenging chapter. Because let's remember, we are in the final days of Jesus. This is the last week of Jesus. He's, this is happening right before he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to be judged, right before he's going to the cross. All this is happening days before this. And in Matthew 24, Jesus wants to make very king of, uh, um, of servations. Because remember... He knows the time has come. So everything that Jesus is saying in this chapter, he has a great sense of urgency. He wants his disciples to be ready. He wants to, his disciples to be aware of what is going to come after he goes to the cross, resurrects, and beyond. So if you were here uh, four Sundays ago, uh, Pastor Kyle was preaching, and he was giving us this advice, going to Matthew 24, because this is apocalyptic narrative, and it has a lot of uh, events that will happen after Jesus' departure in those years, but also in the future. You know, people get fascinated with apocalyptic narratives. They try to find the time and the day and the hour, and... And Kyle reminds us of this. He says, we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. You don't want to get lost in the details of when is this happening? What did this mean? Um, in fact, in a moment, I won't, I won't, I'm going to tell you when, when is Jesus coming back. You'll see. You'll see. Wait. Just wait for it. <laughs> then uh, a week after that, uh, Pastor Brent reminded us that we have this fascination with the end times because we today are as worried with the end times as the disciples were 2,000 years ago. Of course, everybody, it's, it, it, there's, there's like this fascination of what's going to happen. So you go to YouTube and then you type end times. Don't go to YouTube and type end times, okay? <laughs> You'll find all different kinds of sorts of things and arguments. So this morning, we want to go to the last part in the last portion of chapter 24. 
Jesus here has been talking basically about these things. The destruction of the temple, the temple, physical temple that they had in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, which was destroyed. He's going to talk about the end times, and he's going to talk about his second coming. What is going to happen when he's coming back? And the whole first portion of the chapter, it has to do with warnings. Be attentive when all these things are happening around you. Now, that's the first part of the chapter. The second part, the last part, the one we are seeing today, has to do with warnings, but not so much of pay attention to what is happening around you, but pay attention to what's happening inside of you when all these are coming. So we're going to divide uh, this morning, uh, this sermon in three sections. Section number one, we're going to call it the act of waiting. Section number two, the task in the waiting. And three, the hope for the waiting. Let's start with section number one, the act of waiting. So you want to know when Jesus is coming back? I'm going to tell you right now. Verse 36. But about the day or hour, no one knows. That's it. Let's pray. That was the sermon for today. <laughs> With this, you already know that you shouldn't be looking in YouTube when is Jesus coming back? Because the Bible is telling you no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. It is not for us to know. It's okay with not knowing. God has a purpose for that. See, the, the passage that we're seeing this morning highlights these several aspects of the coming of the Lord. Uh, one aspect is precisely the aspect of the unknown. We don't know when this is going to happen. The day of the hour, no one knows. So right now, I can tell you from here, stop watching YouTube videos about when Jesus is coming back. You already know that no one knows. There's another aspect. There's the aspect of the conventional moment that is going to happen. It's, it's the ordinary time that is going to happen. Jesus is going to make, uh, make a reference of the days of Noah. And then he says, just like in the days of Noah, when people were eating, drinking, getting married, and, 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 and that phrase, you will use that phrase when you're just referring to ordinary life. So this is a, this is a convention aspect of the second coming. But there is also an unexpected aspect of the coming. And keeping with the same image of the days of Noah and the flood coming, look at verse 39. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus, remember, now he's going to tell us, pay attention to these things in your heart because you may think that you will have time to get ready for that and Jesus is using the example of the days of Noah the unexpected aspect of it is when the flood is here when the event comes some were not ready and they will take them away so Jesus is going to say this and this is the instruction to his people, verse 24, I'm sorry, verse, verse 42 and 44. Therefore, 
Keep watch. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you also must be ready. Keep watch. Be ready. Keep watch. Be ready. Now, it doesn't sound that complicated. Keep watch. Be ready are two very specific instructions. Everyone will understand what does that mean. Keep watch is be attentive, be ready, be prepared. But I want to argue this morning that they are actually harder than what they think they are. And that's why I want to emphasize of our text this morning, the last parable that Jesus is mentioning. And it's the parable of the two servants. Because that parable highlights the aspect of the waiting. There is an aspect of waiting. Waiting for his second coming. Waiting for what he said is going to happen. Now, before we go to the parable, we need to stop. And I need to confess something. I don't like to wait. I don't know if you are like me, maybe not, but I'm almost sure that you are. Because in the times that we are living, in modern society, um, listen, we live in times of, we live in privileged times in history. Everything around us, technology, the advancement, medicine, hygiene, all around us, people in other times and centuries would not dare to imagine how we live in these times. So we actually live in very, very privileged times. But we live in the worst times to learn how to wait well. These times are designed, all these advancements are precisely designed so, so we don't have to wait. So you remember years ago, uh, so I'm part of the gen, Generation X, so I was born in, in, in 71. I, um, all my teenage years were in the 80s, which is the best decade that the world has seen. Uh, <laughs> I knew I was going to have this kind of response. Uh, and I remember uh, something, there was an artifact that some of you will remember. Maybe some millennials will know what I'm talking about. Maybe Gen Z's have, will have no idea what I'm talking about. It was an artifact bigger than your device, bigger than your phone. And it was an artifact made, so when you wanted to watch a movie, way before Netflix, and you just press play, there was something called VH, a VHS tape recorder. You will watch a movie there in big tapes. But then when the movie is over, you have this artifact that the sole purpose is to rewind the movie <laughs> to the beginning of the movie. And you're there. You want to watch a movie? Oh, what, which movie are you going to watch? Let's watch this one. You put it, and then, okay. Oh, You put it there. You press. And what do you do? You just wait like five minutes. I know that people... See, the, all the Gen Z's here in the house, you need to search for this. And you need, it's, it's, um, because nowadays, we, you have a whole season of shows that drop on you on a certain day. You have 10 episodes at once. See, binge watching never existed before. 
That's something that we invented these days. Why? Because we don't like to wait what's going to happen for next week. So that's why it can be midnight and we're watching a show that we really like and my wife and I were watching and I'm falling asleep and the episode finished and then I look at my wife and says, so what do you think? And she's like, just press play, just press play. <laughs> Let's go to another episode. So we need to acknowledge we, we're in the worst times of, of learning how to wait. But the act of waiting has been part of creation from the beginning. God designed creation with waiting in mind. Think about it. Everything, for everything, you have to wait. It's just us that we have created this reality when we think that we don't have to wait. And you know what? Now we feel awkward doing it. I remember um, a few days ago, uh, I went to get a, a haircut, and I don't know what happens with... It, Places where you have haircuts used to have magazines in front of you. Now they don't have anymore. I, maybe because of COVID, maybe they, they're gone. But you know why? Because even with magazines, no one reads the magazines. Because everyone has their phone, right? So that morning I was going to have a haircut and I forgot. I left my phone in the car. And I'm there sitting, waiting for my time. Everybody's in their devices. And you know what thought came to my mind? I look weird. <laughs> I look weird not doing anything. Everybody's doing something with their phones. Everybody's getting distracted. I am here and now I feel awkward. Waiting used to be just a normal part of our daily lives. And now you feel self-conscious. Like right now, I, I could be researching something for the message. On the, <laughs> making good use of our time. We don't want to make good use of our time. You know what? We don't like to wait. I, I was thinking about this. I'm going to give you three reasons why I believe we don't like to wait. First reason why I, I believe we don't like to wait is because waiting reminds me that my control is limited. I don't have control in everything that happens around my life. And that's not good for my ego. My ego doesn't like that. My ego wants to be in control of everything at all times. These things, new technology, gives me the illusion that I can know everything and be everywhere at any given time. So, when I have to wait for something, then that illusion is gone and I don't know what to do. Because I'm not in control. I'm not in control. And as much as I, I want to believe that I'm all powerful, I'm not all powerful. None of us are. Second reason why I think we don't like to wait. Waiting forces me to depend in someone else rather than myself. And I don't like that either. Have you ever wondered why when you go to see the doctor, they call people patients? Think about it. Why are we called patients? Well, one, one, one is going to say, well, you have to be patient. I think that the person that named patient patients was someone at the front desk that saw all these people waiting for the doctor. And he says, how are we going to call all these people? Let's call them patients. <laughs> you know what? You wait at the doctor 
What, you know why you don't have a problem waiting for the doctor? Because you are at the mercy of the doctor. Because to see the doctor is important for you. In that moment, you don't mind losing control. In that moment, you don't, you don't mind that much. Depend on somebody else's time because you need that person. See? Waiting always comes back to me. I can wait. Like someone says, I can wait as long as for me. Someone said, if you want me to be patient, don't make me wait. <laughs> Third reason why I think waiting is hard for us is because waiting requires me to deal with myself. And many times I don't like that. That's why I have my phone. I want to get distracted rather than think about me and the things that I'm either not doing well or the things that I forgot or whatever things is going on with my life. I don't want to be left alone with myself. I don't like it. It feels weird many times. This is not how God designed this. This is not. So I said my confessions. I don't like to wait. But here's a reality. God always calls his people to wait. It's always through scripture. Everywhere it's there. You see it there. And God is purposely sending his people in times of waiting. All through scripture. Because here is the truth. God is always working in his people during the times of waiting. So during your times of waiting, your waiting is not time wasted. If you are waiting on the Lord, your waiting is times where he is doing something in you. As much as we don't like it. We need it. See, none of us like waiting. We all need the act of waiting in our lives. This is why what we do what in the waiting matters. What we do in our waiting matters. It's crucial for us. And this is taking me to point number two. The task in the waiting. And this is where I want to focus in that parable that Jesus told to his disciples about the two servants. Now, very quickly, let me tell you this. We are not supposed to get doctrine out of parables. That's not how it works. Because parables are stories. Stories that Jesus told. And he told them with the purpose to illustrate principles of the kingdom of God. So be careful when you go and go into a parable and try to extract dogma or doctrines. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to illustrate principles of the kingdom. Now, having said that, Jesus, who is the greatest storyteller of all times, when Jesus is telling a story, you want to listen. Because everything that he's saying in that story has a significance. 
that we want to pay attention because he wants to illustrate something that is happening with us, with his people, before God. So the parable goes like this. This is this master who goes away. And while he's away, he gives everything to one of his servants and says, I've given you authority. I want you to serve your fellow servants while I come back. And then what happens in the waiting for that servant has to say a lot of our waiting, waiting for our own master. Because in the story, of course, it's very clear the master is Jesus. He's going to come back. The servant are this, his people. And why they do what we do in the waiting matters. Look at verse 45. So, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants? He's in charge of the servants in his household. See, this is his people. This is his household. This is the, this is the task that is given them. To give them their food at the proper time. Who is the faithful and wise servant who has received the authority of the master to feed his fellow servants at the proper time? Now, that's not what happens in the parable. The servant doesn't respond like that. How does the servant respond? Look at verse 48. Suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. First thing you notice is he is delaying the task because he understands that the return is not going to be soon. And he delays the task. I have time. My master is staying away a long time. So, Right here, you can see that, number one, he's not being diligent. He's not watchful and ready, like Jesus said before. Be watchful and be ready. This servant is not being watchful. He's not being ready. He is basically neglecting the task by delaying the task. Maybe he's saying, oh, I forgot. Or maybe he got distracted with some things. But he forgets the task. He delays the task. Now, distraction is not necessarily sinful. You can be distracted and the, ask, the, the act of distraction is not inherently sinful. Unless you're distracting and your distraction prevents you from fulfilling the task God commanded you. Then it becomes disobedience and becomes sinful. So from distraction to disobedience, maybe a small step away. And some of us in the church of Jesus, we may need a good reminder. What are we doing in our waiting? Are we keep watchful and ready? Are we distracted and neglecting the task? How many of you 
here in the room. How many of you uh, are people that when you have a commitment, you have a responsibility, you have an assignment, you want to do it soon. I want to finish. I want to be over with it. I want to do it uh, sooner rather than later. How many of you? Let me see your hands. How many of you? My wife loves all of you. Now, how many of us, I'm including myself, we say, I have time. Uh, I still have time. I know that I can do this. And then it's the night before the test and you're studying hard. How many of us? This confession time. This is procrastinators united. Uh, we're going to start a life group tomorrow. <laughs> Next week. And then next year. <laughs> Listen, all my respect to all of you that do things right on time. But that doesn't, that doesn't take you completely out of the picture. Because many times, even you that want to have things ready with time, there are things that are outside your radar. The Apostle James is writing to the church in James chapter 4, and he says this, If anyone knows the good they have to do and they don't do it, that is sin. If you know what is the good that you should do and you don't do it, that is sinful. Maybe it wasn't in your checklist. Maybe it was outside of your radar. But nevertheless, if you fail to obey the task, it is sinful. As I was, as I was being confronted with this parable of the servants, and, and, and this servant just delaying the task, it was, believe me, it was very, very convicting for myself because I like to postpone things. And then I remember the disciples just Mere hours of wait of when Jesus is telling the parable. They were in a different kind of waiting. Our waiting is for the second coming of the Lord. The disciples back then, they're waiting for the moment when Jesus is going to the cross. And Jesus told them, the time is coming. And the time has come. And they go to a garden. The garden called, the garden called Gethsemane. And then in Gethsemane, Matthew 26, which are chapters, two chapters away. We're going to see that in, in a few Sundays. They're in Gethsemane. And Jesus tells them, sit here while I go over and pray. And pray for me. Then he returns an hour later. And you remember what happens? The disciples are what? They're sleeping. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're exhausted. Maybe they got distracted. But for sure, they didn't do what Jesus asks them to do. Jesus comes back and he says, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? And then he says this to them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. That sounds very similar to watch and be ready. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You may want to fulfill the task, but if you're feeding your flesh, the flesh loves not to wait. 
Just give me distraction. Just gives me entertainment. I don't want to know about those things that will happen. So then the story of Jesus gets a little more, uh, it gets stronger. Because this servant, look at verse 49, second part of 49. The servant who got distracted and says, my master is staying away a long time. Now he starts to eat and drink with drunk words. Do you remember what, what was the task? The task is to feed who? The other servants. What is he doing? He's, he's eating, but who's eating? Choose himself. He's thinking of himself, not the fellow servants, not the people that the master asked him to take care of. He's just thinking about himself and himself alone. And now he's disobeying the task. Not only delaying it, now he's plainly disobeying it. But maybe he says, uh, you know what, I'm just tired of this. Maybe he's saying, I feel so discouraged. These servants don't, my fellow servants don't recognize me. They don't know that I'm the one that the master gave authority. Some commentaries, by the way, believe that this, this parable should be uh, emphasize for all the leaders of the church first. And I will say amen, but I will also say I believe that it's also for all the household of God, for the whole church. Because even if you don't have, even if you're not a leader per se in the church, you have people that are watching you, your family. You are an influence to them. And when you put yourself first, instead of feeding others, instead of blessing them, while we wait the coming of the Lord, we're not doing things right. What the wicked servant is doing right now, what the unfaithful servant is doing, is he's putting his passions first. I want to eat and I want to drink. You know, there's a common narrative right now in culture people that are leaving the church, and you know, a lot of people that are leaving the church, they have gone through very painful experiences. Yes, I'm not negating that. But for many of them, when they explain about what they did when they abandoned the church, they say, I was, I was not taking good care of me. I was neglecting myself. People are not paying attention to me. And I will say, yes, there is a part of the loving your neighbor and then as you love yourself, that is a reality. But Christianity itself, the example of our, of our Savior is that he gave his life for others as he was taking care of his life. You don't put yourself first and then everybody else do what they can. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy in the second letter to Timothy. And he's talking about the end times. Let me read you what Paul is writing. Mark this, Timothy. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Just that line alone made me think that we're in the end times. 
People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, forgiving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to this. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Just appearance. Have nothing to do with such people. What we do in the waiting matters, church. How we treat one another matters. How we respond to the task matters. Now, when I started to think about the disciples neglecting the task that Jesus gave him at that time, then I remember another disciple who put himself first in the hour of waiting. When the hour of waiting was getting dark for him, and even though he had been warned, when they asked him, are you one of the followers? He says, no, 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 I'm not. I don't know him. He put his, I don't know, his fears first, his doubts, his insecurity took hold of him. Nevertheless, he succumbed to his own passion, his own view of himself and tried to save himself. And three times Peter denies Jesus, disobeying him, denying him. I don't, I don't know him. Now it gets worse with the response of this servant. Look at the first part of verse 49. He, the servant, the unfaithful servant, begins to beat his fellow servants. He's not only delaying the task, he's not only disobeying the task, now he is defying the task. He's going completely against what the master asked him. Remember, the master asked him to take care of his fellow servants. He's now beating them. And this is, this is the scary part. The unfaithful servant is beating his fellow servants with the authority that was given by the master. See, now he's saying, I'm going to rebel. I'm going to be rebellious against the task. I'm going to go against you. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe he's saying, you, he doesn't know whatever he's thinking. He's going against that. He appropriated the authority that received from the master. And instead of using it for the good of others, now he's abusing and beating his fellow servants. And this is what hurts me, that the church today, the church of Jesus Christ is so divided today. That many times, so often, and more in the times that we are living, we are using what God gave us. We are using the beauty of worship, the power of truth. The influence of hope. And we turn it around against each other. And we rebel. Thinking that we are doing it for the right reasons. Not long ago, Pastor Jonathan was telling me this story about these uh, worship leaders that we respect highly. Uh, 
he knows them personally. He knows their testimony. They're well-known worship leaders. They were invited to a festival of worship. There were going to be other bands and other worship leaders singing. Well, there's this one particular band that the church where they come, there's some, they say this way, this other group of people don't like them that much. And this group of people of churches that love these worship leaders, because these worship leaders are going to participate in the concert that this other band is, they're pouring out comments in social media saying that how dare you, you're selling your soul because you are associating yourselves and what is about all the things that you used to sing and now doesn't mean anything. You know that the social media is a very cruel world, right? And you know that Christians in social media can be very, very mean people. And that shouldn't be the case. Because if the master gave us a task, what he gave us, if he gave us the power of truth, if we have the word of God, we, it's, it's for the benefit of others. Yes, we can use it to, to confront. With, we can bring the truth anytime that the truth comes and confronts our idols. We're going to feel offended. Yes, that's a given. But the way that you do that matters to you. You're not just giving away Bible verses to make people do what you want them to do. In your family, at your household, your children, your friends, your co-workers. You're just grabbing verses without thinking of what you're doing. You're using the beautiful things of God to manipulate. And it's not the same thing confronting the truth, speaking the truth in love, it's not the same thing. It all starts with the attitude. The attitude and the posture of your heart. You want to do this so they can see the goodness of God. You want to do this to be proved right in whatever discussion, argument you are having. And this is church where we need to be very careful. This is what Jesus is warning their disciples. Because our actions in the waiting reveal the orientation of where our trust is put, its place. My actions in the waiting are revealing the orientation of my trust. Am I really trusting in God or am I trusting in myself? And I don't want to lose control in this. What we do in the waiting matters, and it matters because it honors God or dishonors God. What we do in the waiting matters because it either allows me to grow in virtue or it, or it makes me succumb to my passions. What we do in the, in the waiting matters because either allows me to serve others with what the master has asked me to serve. Or he will give me the opportunities to abuse others with the same tools the master gave me. And this is why we need, we need a savior out of this. And I'm finishing with the point three. The hope for the waiting. There must be a hope for the waiting. How do we, how do we rescue from this? Remember Jesus starting the parable. He says, who 
then is a faithful and wise servant. He mentions this in his parable. Who is the faithful and wise servant? Well, he was the one who's telling the story. Jesus is the faithful servant. In fact, in Matthew 20, we saw this Sundays ago. Jesus said this, the son of man did not come to be served. He came to serve others like the faithful servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the disciples in the hour of waiting, they neglected the words of Jesus, fell asleep. Peter, in the dark out of his own waiting, he put himself first and denied Jesus. Judas, in the hour of waiting, opposed, rebelled, betrayed Jesus and sold him for 30 coins. And you know what Jesus did? Around the same time, around the same time that all this is happening, there's a moment when they're all together. Jesus takes a towel and as a servant, washes the feet of the ones who neglected him, the ones who disobeyed, the ones who denied him, the ones who betrayed him. Jesus washes the feet of everyone. Jesus came not to prove his point. Jesus came to give his life for the sake of the world. Jesus is the faithful and wise servant who gave his life for you and for me. And this is why we have the table of the Lord. Jesus comes and he tells everyone, I'm giving my life for you. I'm going to be broken for you. Maybe some of us here have been the ones that neglected. Maybe some of us here have been the one who disobeyed. Some of us, the ones who defied. Let me tell you this, church. Jesus is here for you. To save you. Not of the time of the waiting, but what happens in your heart in the hour of waiting. He is the hope for us in the time of waiting. And that's why he purposely sets up this time for the church to wait for when he comes back. When we come to the table of communion, we approach Jesus as that. Not only as the servant that is faithful, but as the king who came and saved us. I'm going to invite you, if you're a believer, to take... Uh, one of the cups that we have and we have prepared for you. This moment is of high importance for us because we, we understand that Jesus is present, not literally in, in the bread and the juice or the wine, but he is with us, with his church. And when we acknowledge that we have sinned and fall short of his task, he has given, making a way back to him. 
back to his presence. This is the table of the Lord. If you are here and visiting us, um, the table means an invitation, an invitation to consider. You can talk to one of us pastors or one of the people that are serving here if you want to know more about what does it mean to follow Jesus. And if you're a believer, this table means forgiveness. I'm accepted. He died for me. I'm going to give you a brief moment for you to ponder upon this truth and to come to Jesus, the servant king, the one who washed my feet even when I sinned, and the one who gave his body and blood to save me and set me free. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for giving your life to save us. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it. You may take, peel off the part where the bread is. Take that small cracker, small bread. His body was broken for us. He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Paul keeps writing in the same way. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. You can peel that part. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes again. Lord, we await for your coming. Teach us how to wait on you. Thank you for bringing us, King Jesus, the servant king, to your table, through your throne. Amen.